Well, welcome to South Winds this morning. We are starting a brand new series of messages today called My True Selfie. And selfie is a word that none of us even knew just a handful of years ago because the word hadn't even been coined yet. Uh, But that word has become such a part of our life because selfies have become such a central part of our lives that in 2013, selfie was actually named the word of the year. And we all know what selfies are. They're a picture that we take of ourselves with a smartphone. We record uh, with our selfies where we are and what we're doing and who we're with. And then, of course, we post the selfies to Instagram or Facebook. And we love selfies, right? I mean, think of how things have changed. You know, you, you meet Steph Curry. You might not even ask for an autograph because what you really want is a selfie with him, right? Or you travel to Paris and don't care about any souvenirs. All that matters is getting a selfie of you in front of the Eiffel Tower so everyone can know where you've been. Or maybe you climb to the top of Half Dome in Yosemite. I mean, who cares if you live? (laughs) All that matters is getting that picture so at least someone can post it for you posthumously, right? I mean, selfies are everywhere. I I came across some stats. A thousand selfies get posted to Instagram every second. That's 95 million every day. A couple of years ago was the latest stats I could find. Google says that we upload 24 billion selfies a year. I read this week that the average millennial is going to take 25 selfies in a lifetime And when you compare that to the average lifespan of people, which is now 27,375 days, that means about one selfie every day. And social scientists are starting to study this phenomenon. What do selfies tell us about who we are? This week I was reading a study from the Georgia Institute of Technology called Selfies. We love how we look and we're here to show you. And this study looked into what kinds of identity statements uh, that people are making as they take and as they share their selfies. And you probably won't be surprised uh, that they discovered the majority of selfies are about appearance, what we're wearing, what our makeup's like, how we look, that kind of thing. It's about projecting an image. Uh, This study concluded that, quote, selfies are an identity performance, and they are used to craft an online image which is trying to control the version of ourselves that we want our peers to see. The study's author wrote, selfies, in a sense, are the blending of our online and offline selves. It's a way, listen to this, to prove what is true in your life, or at least what you want people to think is true. Another interesting factoid I came across, this was reported by KCRA last fall. A study done by Carnegie Mellon concluded and get ready for this, Uh, in the 20 months prior to the study, around the world, 127 people died taking selfies. By the way, that's more people than die from shark attacks, so you don't need to worry about the sharks so much, I guess. Uh, People get careless. They stop paying attention to where they are. They're trying to get the perfect angle, you know, for the perfect selfie, and something tragic happens. And I think there's a sense that you might say sometimes people die because of a false sense of identity. 
And of course, that's an extreme example, but I think it's clear that millions of lives, maybe some of ours, are damaged, are limited all the time because of false senses of identity. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing as a church family is looking into God's word, and we're going to be seeking to understand what does God say about our identity, about our true selves. And to get into this idea of identity, what God says about it, uh, I want to talk to you today about this question. And the question is this, what is the truest thing about me? If I were to ask you who you are, how would you answer? Uh, Most of us would probably begin by saying things like husband or wife, father or mother. We would say, I'm an engineer or I'm in IT or HR. We would say, I'm a teacher, I'm a first responder. Maybe we would mention our ethnic or our national heritage. But what I want you to see today and what I want to help us all learn in this series is this. The truest thing about you is who you are in Christ. The truest thing about you is who you are in Christ. And so I have to ask, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what God's word says about your identity? And are you living by what God says about you? Now, some of you may hear talk about identity, and you may have a tendency to kind of write this off like, oh, this is just modern, self-focused, new age, narcissistic psychobabble. In our secular culture, yes, it often is. But you need to understand that the idea of a Christ follower's identity is foundational to the Bible. And we see it over and over and over again. Jesus talks about it. The apostles talk about focusing on who we are actually many times more than even telling us what we should do, how we should behave. In fact, one example, Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, when he says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's only after he's made this identity statement that he tells them, now go spread the salt, go shine the light. See, identity is always the foundation of how We actually live. Obedience always flows from this right sense of identity. The Apostle Paul also does this. He does it again and again in his letters. I was thinking this week about a six-month series of messages that I did here at Southwinds about six years ago. I took our church family through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and I, I, I saw as I studied that, that letter that it's really all about identity. In fact, I, I gave a title to the first three chapters, and that title was Finding Our Identity in Christ. And it's interesting, you look at those three chapters, this massively important letter that Paul wrote, there's not one command anywhere in the chapter. Paul just says to his readers again and again and again, this is who you are, this is who you are. And it's only after he's established that that he moves on in chapters four through six to begin telling them how they are to live. And I I call that section living out our identity in Christ. The point is, identity is everywhere in in the scriptures. And I can just go on with more and more examples. But today, to kind of dig into this topic, I want to build a foundation for us by asking three questions. Three questions we're going to explore about identity and the first one is this. You can write this down. And, and by the way, you may have noticed that your outline sheet is blank. 
this is for those of us who tend to be a little lazy, okay? You're going to have to write more than one or two words to fill it in. You've got to write the whole sentence today. Is that all right? Um, we'll, we'll see how you do. But here, here's this first question. How do we usually define our identity? I think it's important that we start uh, where most of us begin. And here's the thing. Wh- whether or not you've ever consciously articulated it, you have a sense of identity. Whether we realize it or not, we all live from core truths about who we think we are. All of us live our lives out of something that we see as deeply true about us. Another way of saying this would be every action we take has a sense of identity behind it. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're driving down 205 and someone speeds past you at 95 miles an hour. Now, you won't chase them down. You won't give them a ticket because you don't have the identity of a CHP officer, right? But if you do and they go past you, you chase them down, you pull them over, you write them a ticket. Every action flows out of a sense of identity. And if the actions that we have in our lives are, well, I'm addicted to success or I'm addicted to pornography or I keep having this repeated pattern of broken relationships over and over again, or I just keep on raging on the people in my world with uncontrolled anger, or I just can't seem to stop self-medicating, whether through substances or sex or a romance novel, whatever it is, why do you do that? Why do you do those things? If actions come from a sense of identity... What do your actions tell you that you really believe about yourself? Where do you find your identity? And we tend to find identity in one of three places. It often is a combination because we're complex people, but typically we operate out of these three things, and we, like I said, do this interchangeably. They are what we do, what we do defines who we are, what we have defines who we are, what we desire defines who we are. And what we do is easy to understand. We often define ourselves by our work. I mean, after all, it is the thing that consumes most of our time, working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week, especially when you include commuting. Our career, our disciplines, the crafts, who, what we do, and the things that we do well, this is where we often find meaning and purpose in life. A lot of us find identity in what we have. Our bank accounts, our portfolios, our possessions, the things we get, the things we've acquired. And this category also includes finding our identity in things given to us, often things that are out of our control. Uh, We all know people that find their identity and their good looks. They're very attractive people. And if that's you, you've probably uh, come to know that as a general rule, you're one of the most attractive people in the room and you gather a sense of identity from that. It may be that it's about your personality. You have this magnetic, charismatic personality. People want to follow you. You're charming and you always know what to say. So you have this identity out of that. This is part of what we have. But there's also, interestingly enough, kind of a negative side to this. Some people derive identity from things they don't have. For example, maybe you find your identity in being the person who's not attractive. 
You know that you're not the most attractive person in the room and you don't care. And you let people know. You let people know. Or maybe, maybe you grew up without a father and that's how you define yourself. Maybe you grew up in a broken or in an abusive home. Maybe you have some disability and you really, you define your life by that, what you don't have. In either case, these are things you've been given. They're outside of your control and you take those things you have and you push them down, push them down, down to the very center and core of who you are. They become your identity. And we also sometimes find our identity in what we desire. We say things in our culture like, well, I just want to be true to myself. In fact, that's one of the, the key doctrinal beliefs of our culture, right? Above all things, people will tell you, be true to yourself. Maybe, maybe you reject something and you say, well, I'm not my job. I'm not my family. I'm just me. I am whatever I want to be. Sometimes people think, however I want to express myself, that's who I really am. And by the way, this is what is happening when people make their sexual desire the truest thing about them. They say, I am what I desire. I am what I'm attracted to. Now, the problem with all of these things is that these identity structures, what we do, what we have, what we desire, we are forming an identity around moving parts, around things that change, around things that are not stable. These are things that can be taken away in a moment. For example, what we do. You understand, don't you, that what we do, nothing we do is completely secure. I mean, you can lose your job tomorrow. I hate to tell you that. Or you can realize that you hate your job tomorrow. Or some of us have experienced this. You realize that what you went to school for isn't what you want to do with your life. And you've spent seven years and like half a million dollars getting ready for that. That's called an identity crisis, isn't it? See, nothing we do is completely secure. And you know how you've made, you know that you've made something like this, your, your identity, how you've pushed it down and you've made it the truest thing about you. It's when you lose that thing and you find that you're lost. You lose your job and you find yourself thinking, I don't know who I am. Uh, you, you fail at something at a level where there's no re recovery and you feel like your whole life is over. These are powerful indicators that you may find your identity in what you do. And then what we have. Simply put, everything we have can be lost, taken away. And then what we desire. You understand, don't you, that we're all just these bundles of conflicting desires. Every one of us is this complex mix of spiritual desire and emotional desire and sexual desire and physical desire. And all these desires conflict. Have you noticed? Like you really want to have a great body, but you also really want at the core of your being to eat double doubles at In-N-Out every day with a large fries and milkshake. More seriously, you really want to please and serve God, but when you're honest, you will also admit you really also want to disobey and do what you want to do. Often, you want to do good, 
but you don't have the power to do good. That's the problem that Paul talked about in Romans 7. So the question is, who are you? Where do you find your life, your identity? I mean, what is the most true thing about you? Do you see why this shows us how identity really matters? Identity is really about where we find our worth, our value, where we find love, where we find this sense that our lives really matter, that we are significant. And we look to what we do and what we have and what we desire for these things. But the problem is always those things in the end can never give us what we're looking for. It's kind of an interesting thing when you consider how they fail us. We all know those things fail us. We all know those things let us down. But we keep going back, don't we? We keep trying, don't we? I mean, this job that I built my identity on didn't give me what I wanted. So I'll just find a better job. This relationship that I was in didn't provide me the love that I was longing for. So I'll just get another relationship, a better person. And this is life. And many of you right now are saying, this is my life. This is my life. Identity matters. If you don't know who you are, you're going to be trying to earn the love of someone, the approval of someone. It always, always works that way. And I've brought this first question up for this reason. We all need to see that our ways of defining identity don't work. They just don't work. Second question is how does God define my identity? And this is the heart of what this series is going to be about We each need to learn how God defines our identity, and then we need to learn how to live out of that. And to help you see this, I want to show you something that I think may surprise you. We see this issue of identity very clearly in Jesus' life and ministry. And in fact, uh, in every aspect of life, Jesus is to be my model and example, right? And here's what we see. Jesus starts his ministry at the age of 30, And before he turned 30, we know virtually nothing about his life. He just kind of shows up. And this is how his ministry starts. He goes down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing people, and he wants to be baptized by John. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? I mean, John knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was perfect, that he'd never sinned. And John is just saying, hey, this baptism is a baptism of repentance for sins, but you've not sinned. Look how Jesus responds, verse 15. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very beginning. The father speaks and the father says, I am so proud of my son. Do not miss the fact that Jesus 
heard these words from his father before he did anything. I mean, if this was a Hollywood movie, how would the script be written? We, we would put that statement at the end of Jesus' life, like the vindication, the proof of what he'd been doing after he'd actually done something. But at this point, it's, who is this guy? We don't even know. All we know is that his father really loves him. Do you see what this is? At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he's done anything, before he's performed a miracle, before he's died on the cross to pay the sin debt for the entire world, before he's been raised from the dead, this is an identity statement. And he heard it. And everyone heard it. Part of how we know this is an identity statement, part of how we know that Jesus Uh, though he was the son of God, he was fully human. He still needed to hear this from the father. Part of how we know is what happens in the very next sentence, Matthew 4, verse 1. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That's Satan, the devil, not just a demon, the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. Think about this. He hears from the heavenly father, I love you, I am well pleased with you. And then he's tempted. And how is he tempted? He is tempted at the very point of his identity. This is where Satan goes to attack him. He's challenging him. Are you truly the son of God? Does God really love you? Does the father really delight in you? Is it really true? You see, Jesus, even Jesus was tempted to buy into false identities. Identity matters. Who you are matters. I mean, if it mattered for Jesus, it matters for us. So let's take a brief look at what God says about me. Uh, today, I just want to show you one passage and only briefly, but 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11 is really one of the key passages in the Bible on identity. And, and I want you to really listen to me right now, okay? Because, because this is so, I want to challenge you. Are you listening? I want to challenge you to memorize this passage in the weeks ahead. I really do. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, he does that from time to time. Can we move on? No, no, I don't want to move on. I want to challenge you to memorize this passage in the weeks ahead. In fact, I just, I'm just going to call you guys out, all right? Uh, this is my favorite service, right? You know that, don't you? So if you're willing right now, you know, don't lie. You're in church. If you're willing right now to say, I'm going to memorize that, will you just raise your hand? I'd just like to hear that. See, okay. A number, you're going to do it. Some of you are going to wake up later and realize you need to do it too. But I really do want to challenge you to do this. You're going to see later on how important this is. You need to get these words in your heart. Okay, here they are. Here they are. Verse 9, Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, 
I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. Now stop right there. I want you to see what he's done. He's just been telling them again and again and again and again, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. And now out of that, he now gives them something to do. He says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Why do you abstain from sinful, sinful desires? Because you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You belong to God. That's why you don't do those things. See, identity is underneath the obedience. And these verses are just full of identity language. I think it's really interesting. Peter is telling his readers, who, who, by the way, were people living in a culture very hostile to their faith. They were people who were experiencing persecution because they were Christ followers. They were people who were living in a time and a culture that many scholars believe is very similar to where we are now. And Peter is saying to them, here is how you can make it. Here is how you can stay faithful. Here is how you can know joy and purpose. Peter says you need to live out of your identity. You need to live according to who God says you are. You need to learn to say some things about yourself. I want you to see kind of a list turned into personal statements that is drawn from what Peter has just written here. Uh, it, It says, first of all, I am a child of God. That's what God says about you. You need to learn to say this about yourself God has chosen you for his family. That means God loves you unconditionally. God loves you eternally. You are a precious son and daughter. And next week, you want to make sure you're here because we're going to dive deeply into that truth next week. You need to be able to say, I am a priest. This means you can go into God's presence anytime, anywhere. Uh, through what Jesus has done on the cross. It means that God is always with you. It means that God is always there for you. You need to be able to say, I am his bride. You know, identity really um, is about answering the question, who am I? Uh, But this identity marker is also about whose am I? Whose am I? And what we see happening here is that God, through the Holy Spirit, has chosen this highest expression of commitment between two people to express his commitment to you. You're his bride. And part of what this means is you don't need to live in guilt and shame. You can live in complete forgiveness and freedom. Now, I'm not going to explain the rest of these, but you can see just from reading them how rich and how profound they are, how, how, how living out of these realities can really change everything in your life. I am God's servant. I mean, think about that. I am God's friend. I am an alien in this culture. I belong somewhere else. I am an ambassador. See, all of these things are so important for us to take into our hearts and drive down, 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 deep into the core of who we are so they become part of our identity. Some of you may still be kind of asking the so what question. What does this mean for my life? I want to show you three reasons this morning why living my true identity matters. And we'll be unpacking this throughout this series. But just real quickly, first of all, uh, it impacts the way I live every day, each day. I don't know if anyone remembers seeing the movie a few years ago called Freedom Riders. It uh, starred Hilary Swank. It was based on the true story of Aaron Gruel, 
a first-year teacher in inner city L.A. She gets this job, and she is assigned as a first-year teacher to teach the students none of the other teachers wanted to teach, the students all the administrators had just given up on. And she gets this assignment, and she's told right off the bat that most of these kids, they're just going to drop out, and they're going to live as gang members before this year is up. You just need to get ready for that. The street is all they know. It's just who they are. But Aaron Gruel doesn't accept this. And she begins using creative methods to show these kids that they matter to her. And she begins to help them envision a new identity, that they are important, that they can make a difference. And they begin to embrace this new identity. And as they do, their behavior changes. They stay in school. Their grades improve. There's this one really powerful scene where a student returns to class after missing several days of school. And he is being drawn back into the street. And he comes back and he's given himself an F in his journal writing. And Aaron sees this and she takes him outside the classroom and she hands him back his journal. And she looks him in the eye and she tells him that he's not a failure. And she says to him, I see you. I see who you are. And her belief in him inspires him to keep going because she's reminded him of greater identity. And she's just convinced this class that they had a greater identity than joining a gang, that they are writers and they have something to say. And so they write and together they write a book that gets published and their story becomes a movie. And I want you to see this morning, this just isn't Hollywood. This is life. It's real life. What we believe about ourselves shapes the way we live. And you today, friend, you need to know if you've never heard it before, God sees you and God sees who you are. And he wants you. He wants you to live as his forgiven child, his child who is loved lavishly in Christ. He doesn't want you to live out of your feelings of rejection and abandonment and failure. He wants you to live as a priest, free to enter his presence anytime, anywhere. He wants you to live as his bride, pure, because he has declared you pure in Christ. He doesn't want you to live in bondage to guilt and shame. See, identity matters, changes the way we live. It also matters because it brings me freedom. Um, I'll just let you know ahead of time, I'm about to explain for some of you your whole Christian life right now, okay? If you try to live as a Christ follower without understanding your identity, you will likely end up with a legalistic faith. You will end up seeing Christianity as keeping a bunch of rules. Because if identity is not involved, your, your sense of worth will be tied to your performance You'll find yourself thinking things like this. I, I have to read my Bible. I have to pray today because if I don't, God's not going to bless me. Something bad's probably going to happen. You're going to think when the offering bag gets passed at the end of the service, well, I better put something in the offering today so my car won't break down this week. You've thought things like that before, haven't you? I know you have. And a lot of times, I'll just be honest with you, a lot of pastors, I've done this, have made this sort of thing worse by focusing too much on how we should obey God without fully teaching people who they are. It's just a lot easier to give people to-do lists, things to do, things to obey. 
But obedience apart from identity always leads to bondage. And Jesus always wanted his followers to know who they are first. And then out of that identity, to follow him, to obey him. Third reason identity matters is that it honors God. Again, it would be easy for some of us to mistakenly think that a series like this is about self-esteem. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've heard uh, some identity teaching that seems to be more about building self-esteem than anything else. So I just want to be really clear about what's coming in the next few weeks. What we're going to be talking about is not about you hearing things that make you feel good and then you get to go home and you get to stand in front of a mirror and you look in that mirror and you tell yourself you're special and you're important. That's not what this series is about, okay? Your new identity in Christ is ultimately not about you. Your identity in Christ comes from God. And when you live it out, it honors God. God is the one glorified, not you. I want you to look at 1 Peter 2, 9 again. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why. See, God is honored when you understand who you are who he has made you to be. God is honored when you live out of that identity, that identity that he gave you, not some false identity that you chose for yourself, not some false identity that your parents chose for you. And some of you, some of you need to deal with that in these next few weeks. Some of you have been living for years and decades out of identity given to you by your parents, and it is not true. It is not true. You need to live out of the identity that God has given to you. It shouldn't be the identity that our world's culture chooses either. Any other source of identity is false. It must be the identity that God has given to you. And the identity that God gives is truth and it's reality. And when you get it and when you live out of it, everything in your life changes. Everything changes. You see, God says to his people, this is who you are. And then he says to them, now, be who you are. Be who you are. Now, I want to show you that list of who God says you are in Christ once again, that list from 1 Peter. And before we go on any further, what I'd like you to do is write down just one at least of those statements if you haven't done it already. If you've written them down already, then why don't you circle one of them, the one that just stands out to you for some reason the most. And I want you to focus on that this week. I want you to, to go home and take what you've written down. And I want you to pray about it. I want you to begin affirming it. I want you to enter into believing it this week and let it become the truest thing about you. Final question, third, how can I live out of my identity in Christ? Now, again, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking more about this, but I want to quickly give you three principles uh, that help us understand how we can live this out. And the first one is this, know my enemies. You need to understand when it comes to this identity thing, you have enemies that are fighting against you as you seek to follow Christ. And you need to be aware of their strategies so that you can resist them, so that you can defeat them. Paul tells us about three enemies in Ephesians 2. He says, You once walked following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And Paul is mentioning three enemies here. He's talking about the world, this system that we live in, this broken, fallen place where we live our lives. The world will try to seduce us, try to convince us that our identity must be found in something other than Christ. So we need to be aware of the worldview of our culture. We need to see clearly where our culture doesn't align with God's truth. And some of you are struggling in your faith because you have bought into what the world says and you've been living out of that identity instead of what God says is true about you. But the brokenness in this world is not the only thing that fights against us. Also, our own flesh can work against us too. Some of us really struggle with this. Even when we hear God's truth about identity, some of you are going to go home and you're going to find yourself questioning, why would God love me as much as he says that he does? I don't deserve it. Some of you are going to find yourself thinking, how could God continue to forgive me when he sees how I sin again and again and again? How could God see me as his pure bride? I look at myself and I feel so dirty. I'm filled with such shame. And one of the things that we need to learn to do is we need to learn to trust God more than we trust our fallen minds and fallen hearts. Third enemy is Satan, the devil. And we just need to be reminded that he is the enemy of our souls and he's always fighting and he's fighting hard to keep us from understanding and from living out our true identity. And you need to know he will lie to you and tell you you're not worthy. He will condemn you when you fail and you shouldn't try again. You just need to be aware of his lies. Be aware of his condemnation so you can fight against them. So we need to know my, know my enemies. And then second, transform my thinking with truth. This is what we're going to be doing in the weeks ahead. We, we, we go to God's word and we hear truth and then we, we take the false ideas of this world and we set them aside. We counter the lies that we have believed in the flesh and we fight against Satan like Jesus did. We fight with truth. And this is all so important practically because we must not stay where we are. We must live our lives by truth, by the reality that God has declared about us, our true identity in Christ. I love this statement from Kenneth Boa. And he says this, we cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. And so we need truth to transform our thinking, which in turn changes the way that we live. And then finally, in the end, it comes down to this. We need to trust and obey. I just want to tell you ahead of time, for some of you, living out your identity in Christ will be very hard, at least at the first. Some of us have been living in false identities for so long, it's going to take some time for us to break the lives and leave the lives behind and embrace reality. And as we walk that path, we're going to need to trust God, that God is right, that his word speaks truth, that living according to what he says, that we are in his beloved son, that is the best way to live. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Life of the Beloved, writes, from the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, we are faced with the call to become who we are. 
See, once you realize this truth that you are indeed the beloved of God, you just need to receive that. It's good news. You receive it. It's yours. So now become who you are. You trust that it's true and you obey from that trust. See, it really does boil down to those four simple short words, be who you are. Be who you are. This is who God has made you. You trust that he has made you and you obey out of what he has told you is real and true. I want to say it again. The truest thing about you is who you are in Christ. So live like it. You need to remember who you are in Christ is truer than everything else. And part of what some of you are going to struggle with is you're going to look at some of these other things and you say, well, these things are true about me. They may be true about you, but this is truer. Who you are in Christ is truer than what you do. It's truer than what you have. It's truer than what you desire. Who you are in Christ is truer than your situation in life. It's truer than your looks. It's truer than your past sin and your present shame. It is truer than the abuse that you suffered. It is truer than your mental health struggles. It is truer than your addictions. It is truer than all of your failures. The truest thing about you is who you are in Christ. And when we get that, and when we begin to live out of that, changes everything. Changes everything. If you've never begun this journey, will you start today? Will you start living out of the reality who you are in Jesus Christ? This is the call. This is God's word to his people this morning. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray together. In a moment, we're going to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together. And I just pray uh, for each of us that we would be able to receive the supper with the knowledge of these truths just right in front of our hearts and our, our, our heads. Father, we thank you for who you have made us in your beloved son, Jesus. We are your sons and daughters. We are chosen by you. We are your bride. Lord, we are holy. We are your friends. We thank you for all of those things, Father. We ask you to forgive us for when we have made other things our identity, our idols. Would you teach us the truth, Father, so we can stop believing lies? Would, would you strengthen us to be who we are? Or we ask all of these things in the precious name of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. And all God's people together say, Amen.